Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the United District Podcast. We're doing things a bit differently again on this episode. We've got two different guests uh, of, of rival clubs to come and talk about the return of football for their club and for the league in general. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Arsenal fan Karis. Karis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. No, it's great to have you on and obviously... It, I think we're all just buzzing, to be honest. Well, you might not be buzzing after last night, but but we're all happy to see the return of Premier League football. Um, how have you been coping with lockdown over the over the past sort sort of few months? Um, yeah, it's not been too bad. Just finished uni exams. I've been doing a lot of video editing nowadays. Mm. That's really my main thing. Sometimes FIFA now and then, just trying to talk to family and friends. So yeah, it's been all right. It's been good. Yeah, fair play, fair play. I think we're all just excited now to um to to put everything else aside for a little while and get get on with the football and then start start enjoying that again. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um it's obviously it returned yesterday. We had Villa versus Sheffield as as the earlier kickoff and then Arsenal against City later on. We'll talk about your team's performance in a moment, but but first of all, um, what, what were your general thoughts on the return and the sort of the atmosphere? Obviously, it's a very different game that we're now watching from the one we we enjoyed we enjoyed back in sort of January and February. Do you have any opinions on the sort of the, the lack of atmosphere and and the sort of return in general? Um, so I didn't watch the Villa and Sheffield game, but I watched our game against City, mm. and in terms of the atmosphere, it can have an effect on. The players, like you saw, I think after full time, even Tierney was saying that they were affected by not having the fans behind them, which you could get, you can get that because of the fans can kind of drive you on to like do what you want to do best. They give you that little boost, that extra bit of energy. And say for someone like Tierney, for example, he's come from Celtic where they have an amazing fan base mm. over there. So the importance of fans is really underrated in the game for sure. Yeah. That's fair enough. Did you watch it just out of interest? Because I know this has been a debate raging on. Did you watch it with uh, the 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 fake sort of artificial atmosphere, or did you did you watch it without? Um, I watched it with the fake artificial atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. What well, what do you think on that? I I think that's a. I don't know. I'm a bit torn to be honest. I thought in the the Villa Sheffield game, obviously you say you didn't you didn't watch that one, but it was a bit sort of delayed and a bit you sort of were, were aware it was fake. Whereas I think with the Arsenal City one, it was a bit a bit better. But yeah, that's um, that's that's another interesting interesting. I think it just depends on how different clubs inter- implement it. But in our game, it sounded fine to be honest. It wasn't too bad, really. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. In that um, Villa Sheffield game, you say you didn't watch it. I'm sure you've sort of been aware of the controversy with the uh, the, the goal line technology making what what seems to really be a, a, only could be described as a glaring error. Do you have any thoughts on that? If you have seen it, and and do you think something needs to change with that, or do you think it's just a sort of uh, a one off error that's taken place? It's probably a one-off error, error that's taken place, in my opinion, because I would have said that across the line, really. So it mm. was a bit strange to see, but I don't think it's something that's just going to repeat again anyway. Yeah, There's always going to be a few issues with VAR and things like that. So, yeah. Mm. No, I agree. I think the only thing that was a bit surprising was that perhaps Michael Oliver didn't intervene and, and perhaps you know use the video technology to, to maybe try and rectify that. But, um, yeah, exactly. Ref- referees don't do that enough. Going to the side to check the screen themselves mm. and see how it looks. Because I would say that was over the line as well. Yeah, no, I completely agree. We'll move on to Arsenal's performance. Obviously, not the best return to for Mikel Arteta and his side, specifically David Luiz. Uh, only could be described as a horror show. I mean, what were your thoughts on on the performance in in general from your side? Um, if I can talk in general, mm. we started well for the first 35 minutes. We were never going to really dominate City. So 
from what I saw, our plan was that we would, whenever we get the ball, we try to counter and use Aubameyang's pace or try to get the ball into Enketia, who would drop into deep areas and try to trouble the centre-backs, which are Laporte and Garcia. But I don't think that we were very like incisive. We weren't picking those first-time balls quickly into Aubameyang. He made like a number of runs um, off Walker. Mm. But I think there was one instance where Taney could have played that straight into him, but it didn't yeah. happen. And there was another instance where the same thing happened. So he was getting quite frustrated throughout the match. But yeah, it wasn't really the best. Defence wasn't really that good, as you can tell. So yeah, there's not much to say on it, really. Mm. Is that the end for David Luiz at Arsenal, do you think? Um, it's, There's been a lot of conflicting stories because of David Luiz came out after the game and was talking to... BT saying that the club wants him to stay, Mikel wants him to stay, and that he wants to stay, which is why he came to front himself. Mm. But as of now, the board haven't really decided whether they're going to extend Louise's contract, which, in my own opinion, I just hope they don't because of that performance was not worthy of staying for another year. Mm. Do you think? Do you think yesterday? Obviously, a lot of it has come down to these. Do you think uh, Mikel Arteta set it up the right way? Do you think the the sort of tactical side of it was correct? Or do you think there, there should be some blame placed there as well? Um, if I try to look at it, for me personally, I would have liked to see Pepe to start. Hmm. So um, I think the reason why Saka was playing right wing was kind of to track Mendy's runs because we kind of know already that City are a better team than us. So we have to try to make sure to nullify their threat and hit them on the counter. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, for me, Pepe should have started because of there was space in behind their defence. You saw, I think, early in the game, mm-hmm. Leno had a long ball that he kicked up and, and Ketio got in behind, but he was slightly offside. Mm. So you could see there was threat in, there was threat in behind their high line. And yeah. that's where I think Pepe would have thrived, to be honest. So I think that was a mistake not playing him. Mm. But other than that... Having um, Shaka starting is good because he's quite important in our build-up. So it was very unfortunate that he got injured very early on. Same yeah. for Mario. I wasn't too convinced, but yeah, him be- him and Shaka being injured in the first twenty minutes really just threw our game plan out the window. That's when I knew that we lost really. Mm, and that's definitely when I think a sort of lack of depth can come can come to the fore. And obviously, I think that was quite obvious when. Arteta was forced into bringing David Luiz on when before the game, he, I think it was it was quite clear that there that there's been something. What, what do you think about Arteta's comments before the game about Luiz? Do you think it's it, there's, it's got to be a suggestion that something's gone on behind the scenes, right? Yeah, I would say it's a su- suggestion that something has happened. Like, obviously, nothing has really come out of the club. But if I was to assume, like, don't take my word for it. But mm. if I was to assume, I feel like maybe his head wasn't in the game or he wasn't training hard enough in lockdown or following advice hence he was dropped for this game because you would have expected him to start alongside Mary as had happened in our last game against West Ham yeah another Louise obviously been the sort of focus of everyone but also another name that continues a bit a bit I think comparable to to Pogba at United is is Ozil at Arsenal um Mm. So I just um, obviously a, tw- a twenty-man squad now uh, now available nine substitutes I, I believe and Özil not selected at all. W- w- what do you think is going on there? And do you think Arteta's in in the right in the right not not to put him in the squad? Um, it's a bit interesting because of 
Ozil, before, prior to this game, he started, I think, if I'm correct, like seven of our last eight games or something. If I got the figure wrong, he's at least started majority of our games, if not almost everyone up mm. till now. So I was kind of surprised to see that his name wasn't on the team sheet or not even amongst the subs. Yeah. But I feel like for a game against City, you need a lot of like leg power to try and track all the runs that De Bruyne and Co would make into the half spaces. So I really feel, well, to be honest, I feel like Urza should have at least been on the bench. So I think Mikel's gone wrong in that sense. Mm. But I agree with him not really starting, to be honest, because I think he does the bare minimum and like keeps things ticking over. Yeah. But when it comes to being really incisive on the break I don't think he's your guy for that mm. I think it's a shame really I know you, we were talking about it a minute ago you said there Nketiah was sort of bursting in behind I think it is a shame because I think you, you actually started that game quite well when I was sort of thinking at the beginning Arsenal looked quite quite fresh really and then City, to be honest I don't think City really went into into full tilt really I think they're, they're just quality on the ball aren't they they didn't exactly need to go Full full press, and they don't exactly need need the fitness as such. I think that was quite clear. I'm not sure City were at their at their fittest, but um, you know they've obviously got that quality through through Kevin De Bruyne, etc., and and were able to, to well to pull you apart in the end. And I think I'm not sure three 0 was a fair scoreline. Really, I thought you started well, but but just sort of fell apart. And obviously, Louise's mistakes led to the downfall. Um, anyway, another headline from today is Chelsea's signing of Timo Werner, which was. At the time of recording this, announced this morning. What do you think of that as a signing for Chelsea? And are you sort of wary of, of the project they're looking to build? Um, yeah, Chelsea are making a lot of good moves. I think Werner, he definitely has a chance of being successful in the league. Whether he adapts and can get used to having less space has remain, remains to be seen. But if you've seen his record in the Bundesliga, even for Germany in friendlies and stuff, you could see that. It's clearly somebody who has potential to be a star of their club. So Werner's a good signing for them. Mm. I think it's interesting that they're getting their business done so early as well. Obviously, Hakim Ziyech already confirmed in the door for next season. And now Timo Werner as well. Would you, Is that something, obviously, there's been talk of Arsenal getting business done early. Thomas Partey, I think, the one name that sort of stands out amongst the rest. Um, would you would you like to see Arsenal get getting deals done sort of now, ready for next season? Yeah, ideally it would be best if Arsenal were more proactive in doing their deals. Mm. Like obviously, you know, in our fan base there's this talk of Don Raul and stuff, but if I'm being completely honest, I'm not seeing much evidence of proactivity. So I feel like Arsenal need to make some moves to kind of appeal not appeal, appease the fan base more. Mm. So Partey definitely has to has to sign. We definitely need a centre back. We need a number eight. Because if you see how the likes of De Bruyne, Bruno Fernandes, Fernandes are doing, we need a number eight that can go both ways and really make the difference for us. Mm. And maybe even a replacement for Aubameyang or Lacazette, depending on who leaves. Yeah. I think it's a similar, similar situation to United, really. I think both enduring what what looks to be a sort a sort of cultural reset, as some would describe it, with um, obviously fresh young managers now at the helm of, of, of both sides. And I think it's the same, really, at United, in that we I think we're the same. Obviously, a lot of talk, all this noise about sort of Jaden Sancho, etc., but not a lot, a lot of action actually being made on that front front to get uh, to get deals done. Um, 
Just going on to the last question, it's quite a general one. Um, what are your sort of aspirations for Arsenal for the rest of the season? And um, what do you think the priorities are? You've already sort of alluded to some of the priorities in the next transfer window, but what, what players, specific names, would you like to see at Arsenal next season? Um, okay, so in terms of aspirations for the rest of the season, mm. like, to be honest, I never really considered top four after Emery left yeah. because of just... Really, we kind of lost too much ground. So I feel like we can try to aim for top five, like try to get fifth if possible. That will also be very hard. But I believe in setting the best targets you can. So I feel like fifth is what we have to aim for right now. And hopefully City don't get Champions League next season, really. And then in terms of signings, I already said that Partey is a must at the base of midfield. I feel like we need competition for Bellerin. So somebody like Max Ahrens from Norwich would be quite good. Mm. Um, I'd also say we need a centre-back. There's many names that have been bandied around, such as Upamecano, um, Pau Torres, Gabriel, Ben Godfrey from Norwich. There's many names that we can think of that could suit us. Mm. And then maybe Lacazette could possibly be leaving this summer, or Aubameyang, as we know. So yeah. I'd hope that we look at one of like Jonathan David, Osimhen, or maybe Otten Edouard from Celtic, who's had quite a good season. I think he has like 27 goals this season, so he's been doing pretty well. Mm. It's been a pleasure yeah. to have you on the podcast, mate. Interest, always interesting to hear other other sides' views. Um, just quickly, actually, before before we go, uh, what do you think? I know we got we got to always pull it back to United. I'm afraid uh, on on this podcast. Yeah, United podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say, well, what, how do you see? I always ask from from outside fans. So I like to see the different perspectives. How do you look at United's sort of projects and everything that's going on now with sort of the introduction of Bruno Fernandez and this sort of growing sort of excitement? How how do you see our project from sort of outside looking in? Uh, from the outside looking in, I'd say that you've got a good thing going, really. Mm. Like, I still say that there still needs to be some improvements in your squad, which I'll get to. Mm. But you have, like, good foundations and Oli's made very good signings for you guys. Yeah. Like, for example, Juan Bissaka's been incredible for you guys. Very consistent. Maybe even your most consistent player this season. Yeah. Um, Bruno Fernandes, he's coming. He's been amazing. Been getting getting goals, turning up in big games. Like I'm excited to see what more he can do for United mm-hmm. and what he can do with Pogba coming back as well. Speaking of Pogba as well, I feel like he is too disrespected in your fan base sometimes because mm-hmm. of he's he's one of the few players in the world that can change the game to his will yeah. or play the game at his own pace. So it'll be interesting to see how you pair. Bruno and Pogba together, definitely. Um, I'd say, if I was to talk in terms of improvements, for me, you need to bring back Dean Henderson and put him in goal. Because I would say that he's been the second best keeper in the league this season behind Alisson. And that he's a very modern keeper. His reflexes are amazing. Like, as harsh as it is on De Gea, I just feel like you need to be ruthless and put him in. Because even Chelsea did the same thing with Courtois and Czech, so I feel like you need to follow on from that. I feel like Shaw needs to be replaced with a more enterprising left-back, someone like yeah. maybe Philip Max or Grimaldo, one of them could do. Yeah, 100%, agree with you on that. Even at the base of midfield, Matic has been pretty good in the second half of the season, but I still feel like 
you need to have the future in mind and have like an upgrade. So maybe somebody like Zachariah could do. Mm. So, and then obviously, I feel like Sancho will be coming to United anyway from looking on from the outside. So, I feel like he'll be set. Yeah, I hope hopefully that Sancho deal does get over the line. I think I'm with you on that. I think a lot of us are sort of expecting it to happen, but um, obviously yet yet to be seen. What happens? Obviously, very different um, financial situations now for clubs due to uh, due to the whole pandemic. I think you mentioned there Matic, and I've spoken about this quite a lot. You know how good Matic is for us, and how he sort of is the man who's going to be able to free up Pogba and Bruno in my eyes, rather than Fred, who who's been excellent this season, but perhaps not as conservative at the base of a midfield um I, I think there you, you mentioned Zakaria who'd be a brilliant re- replacement and someone we've already mentioned Thomas Partey who looks set for Arsenal unfortunately but he he was someone I'd quite like to have seen yeah I think would have been good as a Matic replacement but um yeah we'll have to see we'll have to see it's, it's just great to have it back uh Karis, it's been a pleasure to have you on mate have you got any last last words you want to say to the listeners um not really I'll just um just thank you for having me, really. And I just wish the best for you on this podcast. That's it. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate that. See I'm now delighted to bring thank on my second you. guest of the podcast today, Ricky from The Last Word on Spurs. Ricky, how are you, mate? I'm not bad, my friend. How are you? Oh, I'm all good, thanks. It's uh, it's great to have you, on, have you on the podcast, obviously. Thank you. The return of Premier League football is now upon us. Uh, it, it's, been a, it's been a long few months. How, how have you been uh, coping with the lockdown? Oh, we've been quite lucky. We've done a numerous shows over the lockdown from from a Spurs perspective. I think, to be fair, we've actually enjoyed the break. I mean, we had such <laughs> such a bad run of form uh, before the break, and obviously the loss of players. That uh, I think, as Spurs fans, we were quite relieved to have actually have a break away from the football. We were quite, I think, quietly hoping it might be null and void. But mm. um, <laughs> to, to be fair, we've been fairly lucky where a lot of our players have come back. The likes of Harry Kane. Min Son, Mutas and Soko, Stephen Bergevin. So we're in quite a good position. So I think we're we're now in a in a happier place than what we was to resume the season. Um, that might be a different answer though if you ask me on Friday night, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's quite interesting when you compare sort of United's run into the lockdown. Obviously, we were on a very good run of form um, and, and Spurs not so much, but two interesting dynamics there and we'll, we'll talk in a little in a little while about that game and how, how we think it will pan out but we'll start off by talking about uh, the, the games from yesterday the earlier kickoff obviously Villa versus Sheffield controversy in that game with the goal decision system um, do, do you think that uh, decision of, of the ball crossing the line do you think that could have been dealt with differently do you think maybe VAR could have intercepted uh, what, what do you think about about that controversy yesterday well I think when you've got a system in place like VAR and that episode happens I mean you have to wonder how we're still having these kind of decisions you know as a Spurs fan I feel affected most you know we had the as you guys will remember very well uh, we had the Roy Carroll moment of course where um, the ball went clearly over the line it was that one against us we had the Chelsea Mm Ghost goal in the semi-final so we've been on the back of some injustices and I know Tottenham fans we have got a habit of playing the victim but um, we've been there we've seen that so we know what that's like and again we're in 2020 now with the technology we have that simply shouldn't be happening. You have to wonder for Sheffield United, you know, is that going to cost them Europe at the end of the season? You know, mm. could that be the difference between Villa staying up and, you know, not going down? And what is the implication on other clubs? So I think apart from that, I was actually really impressed by the spectacle. And I know football, it's difficult because we've only been given the game back and we have to adapt as fans and have to understand that, you know, it's, it's different to what it was. But I really enjoyed actually um, being able to hear the coaches and the players talking to each other on the pitch 
when you can hear that motivation going on mm. and what's being said and the, and the change of tactics and formation. So I actually quite enjoyed being able to hear that talk on the pitch. And it's one of those things that you wouldn't have heard had the crowd been there. Of course, Sky give you the option if you want to have that kind of choice to have a crowd drowned in. And to be fair, I, I was worried when I first heard the idea from Sky mm. that there might be the option of the crowd. But I've got to be honest with you, it didn't come across too tacky to me. I thought we'd come across really well. And you've kind of got the best of both worlds. You can either listen to the players or if you prefer to have some kind of background noise, you have got the crowd there. So I think from a Sky's perspective, I think they would have been quite pleased by how that took off yesterday. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I actually, with with the early kickoff, I was a little bit more tentative, I've got to be honest, with, with the sort of the artificial atmosphere. I thought there was a couple of delays here and there. But then I thought later on in the evening with the Arsenal the Arsenal City game, I thought it was much more well, well-tuned. Do you have a preference either way with, with the artific- artificial atmosphere or, or with the sort of natural noise? Yeah, so for, for myself personally, I do prefer it a lot more just being able to hear the players, what is going on the pitch. I feel in mm. one way, maybe by having the noise on, um, it detracts from what you might actually hear between the players. So I, I really much do like the, the idea of being able to listen into absolutely everything if you can as to what is going on in the surroundings. So um, I think in one way, uh, you get to know really the, the, the coach's relationship with the players when you hear them being able to talk to them on the t- touchline, encourage them, spur them on. So I'm really enjoying this. And it's one of those things that for the moment, um, I'll try and enjoy it as much as we can because, of course, as fans, we all want to get back to the stadium. We all want to be able to see our clubs play. Um, but obviously, watching it is the next best thing. And it's nothing like being there, but it's the next best option. And we've got to try and make the most of it whilst we can because I'm sure for the integrity of the league, we want to be able to have a final conclusion in terms of who finishes where and you know the impact on the Champions League. So at the moment, you know, for me, I'm pleased football is back. And I think we should just all enjoy it whilst we can. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Moving on to the later kickoff yesterday, which I'm sure you thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, what did you make of Arsenal's performance last night? Well, I think you're being kind and calling it a performance, to be honest with you. I'm not <laughs> sure what that was. Um, as, as a Spurs fan, of course, I'm delighted. They look an absolute shambles. Louis, you know, David Luiz, I hope he renews his contract. And to be fair, <laughs> this is the funny thing. If Arteta wants him to sign, I mean, I would even be encouraging that. So that's fantastic to hear that he wants him to stay. Uh, as Spurs fans, I'm just hoping he's still there by the time we get the chance to play them. And I, I hope this band is up in time before he plays us. So we do play him. So, um, no, I, I, like I say, as a Spurs fan, it took me great delight to see Arsenal getting beaten, purely because there was that concern that if Arsenal had won, they'd go back above us and it'd actually be back under their control if they could finish above us, which would really have summed up one awful season. It would have been for Tottenham had Arsenal had the opportunity of finishing above us, which could still happen. But um, they look in a whole world of trouble. And we're going to find out if Spurs are going to outdo them on Friday. Mm. Just you talked there about the sort of season Spurs have had, and obviously it's been a been an interesting one for you guys with obviously, you know, a, a club sort of favourite with Maurizio Pochettino, obviously leaving back in what, November, wasn't it? I think I, I believe, and and Jose coming in. Yes. Um, yeah. what, what do you what do you think in general about about how Jose sort of started his time at Spurs? Because I know it's it's something that United fans still have a lot to say about whether one way or another with, with Mourinho involved. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's been fairly mixed. I think if you ask the Spurs fan base where they stand, Jose Mourinho 
Fabinho, I think it's still very much split. I would say 50% are willing to give him at least a summer and the opportunity to maybe bring in a couple of new additions to really see what he's going to mould this Spurs team into. I think on the other hand, you've got fans that have already made their mind up and that Jose Mourinho should be nowhere near Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. So mm. it is really, really tricky. Um, I mean, I'm in the camp for me where if you're going to sack Maurizio Pochettino, you'd have to have something up your sleeve quite clever. I think Jose Mourinho is a winner. As Spurs fans, that's all we keep talking about is trophies and the need for trophies. And to be fair, um, I know the football isn't the most attractive on the eye, but um, you only have to look at the man's CV that he does deliver the one thing Tottenham fans are craving, and that is trophies. So I'm willing to give him an opportunity. I think, you know, when you sack someone as popular as Pochettino, as fans, that takes a while to get over. I think m- most Spurs fans felt with Poch that there was a need to change because it wasn't getting any better. Um, I know he obviously had a lot of credit in the bank because of the nature of where he took t- Spurs to and from. But at the end of the day, I think that you would never have had the opportunity to hire uh, Jose Mourinho had you not had Pochettino. So for me, I'm willing to give Mourinho time. Yes, the football at the point of the lockdown before that was becoming really, really hard to watch. But having said that, you know, he was without Harry Kane. He was without Hummin Son. He was without Steven Bergwijn. He was without Sissoko. So when you lose a key core amount of players that really you rely on from an attacking Mm. perspective, it's difficult. Um, like I say, for me, I'm in the I'm in the camp where I will give him time because I know he's a quality manager. Um, do I expect him to stay for five years? Absolutely not. What I'm hoping is he comes here, he wins a couple of trophies, he instills a winning mentality, and that next manager is in place for Tottenham to really carry that on. Because Spurs for the last twelve years haven't won a trophy. That is something that we need to get over mentally as a hurdle. So that's what I'm hoping we will do in the next couple of years under Mourinho if he is here for that long. Mm. Looking ahead to obviously the the restart for for my club and your club as well, obviously uh, f- facing off. Um, obviously, both sides have had a very very long time to think about it. I'm sure the coaching staff have been preparing vigorously. Obviously, I think Jose Mourinho was isolating with his coaches. Am I right in saying that? He was, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I mean, I can't criticise Jose in terms of you know how he's handled himself. Apart from the one time he broke the lockdown, as we know, to try and get Sungi and Dembele out for a, for a run, ironically. Mm. Um, <laughs> I can't really complain too much in terms of how he's managed himself, you know, and the way he's obviously got the players from the first day of the COVID situation. You know, he was instilling in the players that we might be coming back and I want you to be ready if we are back. And to be fair, you know, I really can't complain in terms of how he's dealt with this period mm. um, and now really is the time to produce you know as Spurs fans everyone keeps saying that he needed a pre-season he needs time with his players well to be fair he's at three months he knows his players fairly well yes he's not been all on the training ground but he's had an opportunity to really really you know get to know the players from a personal perspective and individuality perspective and now we need to see results I think now is the time for results we need them you look at the table um, Spurs can't really afford to drop many more points if they are to try and sneak into a Champions League place so they do need to get results mm. Obviously Solskjaer got the better of Jose last time they met, uh, how confident are you for, for this game? I, I'll be honest with you I mean, I can't sit here and say that I, I'm, I'm massively overconfident but I'm a lot more confident now than what I was when we had the situation You know, be- before lockdown, United were 11 unbeaten playing really well probably playing some of their best stuff under Solskjaer. Um, you know, Bruno Fernandes, what a player he looks. Another one that could have come to Tottenham if we moved quicker than what we normally do. Thank you, Daniel Levy. <laughs> you know, United are a really good team and it's one of those things that if United click, they're such a great side. But part of me does feel that Jose Mourinho, 
you know, it would have really hurt him, that reverse fixture where you beat us, mm. obviously up at Old Trafford, and the manner of how Spurs came out that day still really annoys me that we just did not turn up on the day. You know, even when Spurs equalised Deli Alley, you felt really... We, we didn't really feel in that game. And that was the most frustrating thing. So I'm confident this Spurs team, if they turn up and if we play on the front foot, we've got a great chance against Manchester United. We really, really have. But it's difficult to know really what to expect from the two teams. Yeah, for sure. And I've got to be honest, I am a little bit worried. I think our fan base is perhaps overconfident. A lot of um, excitement and, and hype around the sort of return of Paul Pogba and Rashford. And obviously you have also got players returning, Harry Kane, as well, so I th- yeah, I, I think there's mer- perhaps some overconfidence um, for, from our side, which uh, hopefully can can be lived up to. Um, what, what do you see beyond beyond this game? What do you see as sort of Spurs' aspirations for the rest of the season? What what are you looking to see from the rest of this from the rest of this season? I mean, as you guys know, we're not in any other competition, so it's full focus on the Premier League. I mean, it's hard for a club the size of Tottenham, and for the fact that we have been in the Champions League, you know, for the last four consecutive seasons. Anything then that is always deemed a failure. But I mean, mm. Mourinho did walk through the door, uh, you know, halfway during the season. He's had a lot to deal with. He's lost Christian Eriksen. You know, he's been, I think, really well documented. There's been issues in the cam, which we're going to see a lot more in detail once that Amazon documentary comes out. I mean, I think Spurs will need some aspect of European football because they've got that stadium, beautiful stadium, and it needs European football. So, you know, Jose Mourinho has not come to Tottenham to come and finish in the top half. He's come to Tottenham to try and make the club compete again whether they can compete for the title is another question you know you look at our fullback options and you'd say we're, we're years off so um for the club they need to have focus you know to try and qualify for the champions league but if you look at the table now you'd probably say spurs have to win every single one of their games and still need some hope that other clubs are going to drop points the likes of leicester the likes of chelsea the likes of united that's not going to be easy but um in a weird perverse way if spurs do get that first win against united i do fancy to go on a run and somehow, miraculously, maybe finish in fifth. And if City's ban does get upheld, Spurs qualify for the Champions League, which would be the most craziest finish to a season. Mm. And looking even further beyond that, do you think, obviously, there's some work to be done with that squad. Um, what, what kind of transfers do you expect to see in, in well, what's being called the summer transfer window, which obviously won't uh, end up being really in the summer? What, uh, what kind of targets and, and sort of positions do you expect to see sort of t- targeted? It's tricky. I mean, before the lockdown, I think Spurs probably already identified and knew the targets they were moving for. Now, obviously, the situation they're in, you know, Mourinho was always going to be in a situation where he probably would have to sell before he could buy and would be heavily reliant on loans and free transfers. And I think that will dictate Spurs' summer transfer window. If they can move on the likes of Danny Rose, Carl Walker-Peters, these fringe players and, you know, try and get some money for them, that will go back into Jose Mourinho's budget. I think we've seen... A lot of players being linked in the last couple of weeks that are free transfers, the likes of Thomas Mounier, Thiago Silva. Um, these are great players. They command a very, very high salary in terms of wages mm. per week. But I think Mourinho is the kind of man that he backs himself to manage top-class players. He's done it with United, with Ibrahimovic, and Paul Pogba, of course, that we know well-documented, hasn't always gone down to plan. So I think with Mourinho's contacts in the game as well, he'll back himself if he can to try and bring in a couple of maybe very well-experienced players, maybe slightly, I hate to use the word past it, but maybe you know just above their sell-by date mm. in which you know he can use time, maybe one or two years out of them still, where he could get them to play, I don't know, 20, 25 games, not a full season, but use them sparingly and to really kind of help players like Ryan Session coming through 
Oliver Skip in midfield. These players that to have winners around them start to understand what that feeling is like because Tottenham are lacking a winning mentality. You know, in our squad, we have got winners on an international level. People like Hugo Lloris, that's won a World Cup. But we haven't really, for me, got enough players that are used to winning Premier Leagues. And that's the difference. I think that is the big, big difference. So Spurs need to go out and identify a couple of players, if they can, that have been there, done that. Because I don't see Spurs being able to be in a position where they can spend 60, 70 million. I think the one to watch out for from a Spurs perspective, would probably be Pierre Holberg at Southampton. Mm. I think he's got a year left on his contract, I think, for Spurs. He's quite an attractive proposition where if they can do a deal with Southampton and Carl Walker-Peters goes the other way, I think that could be a deal that happens. But really, I do honestly think that for Spurs, they're going to have to wheel and deal their way through the market. And Mourinho will have to use all of his contacts that he has had at previous clubs to help Tottenham in that transfer market, whenever that may well be. Mm. I mean, well, one club that we've seen, and perhaps the only club really that is getting their business done really early, is Chelsea. Obviously, Hakim Ziyech already confirmed for next season, and then at the time recording this this morning, Timo Werner uh, confirmed to to Chelsea. You've obviously know a bit about Werner. Obviously, faced him in the Champions League this season. What, what do you think of that as a sign? As a sign of Chelsea, and you think that's a, something you're scared of that their sort of intent that they're showing? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you've got to say, you know, that they really, really have moved, you know, very quickly, Chelsea. I mean, they've been in the position where they have had a transfer embargo for 12 months, which means they've allowed themselves to be able to save a lot of money up. Mm. Uh, a point where for a lot of the other Premier League clubs like us, you know, we haven't got the money there to go out and spend. So for Chelsea, they've got a real great advantage where, um, you know, they have got the chance now to really, as they have done, shown with Timo Werner. And they've also got Ziyech coming in, really make a difference. And it's worrying as a Tottenham fan when you think that we're already quite a few points behind Chelsea and they're strengthening the way they are. And I look at our attacking options up front, apart from Harry Kane, you know, we've got Troy Parrott coming through a young 18-year-old. It's quite concerning that Chelsea are able to move in the market the way they are. And it looks like we're going for cast-offs, really, and trying to sign some of their players, the likes of Willian, the likes of mm. Giroud. That's a bit of a concern. But Chelsea have had that you know, opportunity with the 12-month embargo to really be able to save the money. They've moved players on. They haven't really spent the hazard money. So they're taking full advantage, really, of the rest of the Premier League that are currently obviously scrimping and saving money to try and have some kind of a transfer budget come whenever that window may open. Mm. And finally, I just want to ask you, this is a question I ask to a lot of the guests, actually, because I think it's interesting to get different perspectives. Um, from the outside looking in, obviously, we've just talked about Chelsea's sort, sort of project they've got going on. Obviously, we're undergoing what, what a lot of people are seeing as a sort of a, a cultural reset or, or a cultural shift back to sort of the, the traditions of United with Solskjaer now and a lot of, you know, signing a lot of English talent and stuff like that. How do you sort of see United's project from the outside looking in? And do you think, you know, we're building something that could potentially be successful I think United squad, I think it's getting better and better all the time. For me, I, I still have reservations over if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is good enough for Manchester United mm. in terms of can he take them long term, you know, into the promised land? Can he get them back to being treble winners? You know, has he got the ability? And I think for me, um, looking from the outside, that's still a, a real big question mark. I know he has got results against the likes of Guardiola, obviously Mourinho. He's shown that he can win big games. Um, but I think the United, they sometimes struggle in more of the smaller games, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what's let United down. So uh, from the outside looking in, uh, it's a weird thing. Even though Mourinho was doing obviously not so great with you guys, I feared you a lot more when you had the likes of Mourinho there or Louis van Gaal there than I did having Solskjaer there. But, you know, maybe in time, uh, maybe given time, you know, to carry on doing what he's doing with United and build them, that, you know, he may well make them a force again and feared again. 
Um, but I'll be honest with you, that it's it's a very weird feeling that nowadays playing Manchester United and with Solskjaer in charge, I have less fear going into it. I want Spurs to go on the front foot and attack United because I do mm. think they're beatable. But at the same time, I think you have to respect some of the players United have. And it's a very weird one. When you look at the squad and you respect the squad more than you respect the manager, it's a very, very weird balance to say that. But, you know, having said that, Solskjaer's a legend at United, rightly so for what he's won there. I know the fans want to give him a chance. I think there's still, you, you tell me if there's more, if there definitely is, you know, a proportion of fans that feel maybe he won't be able to take United on. There will be some fans that are behind him. But at the end of the day, you look at that squad, it's been improved all the time. And there's definitely shackles that have come off since Mourinho's left the club. Mm. Ricky, it's been a pleasure talking to you, mate. Obviously, I'm sure we'll both be watching eagerly to see uh, how our sides return and, and in what fashion uh, they return. Have you got any last words you just want to say for the listeners? Well, yeah, thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I'll leave you with a prediction because I've had to predict on the game, obviously, on quite a number of different mm. channels. So um, I'm going to stick by what I've always said. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm going to say it's going to be 1-1, which isn't a great result for Tottenham. Probably a better result for United. It keeps a respectable distance between the two clubs. And again, it keeps you guys really on course to finish in that top five, which would be good enough for a Champions League spot, providing City's ban is upheld. So... Yeah, I think really excited for the game. Two decent teams. It's always a glamour tie, Tottenham against Man United and hopefully more of the same. Mm, two new United, I reckon. Cheers, Ricky. <laughs> Pleasure. No problem at all.